Good morning, heart and soul. Thank you for showing up here in the room this morning, and thank you for tuning in if you're at home or wherever you are in the world. I'm grateful that we could spend this time together. I am especially grateful that uh, our good friend of heart and soul, Charles Holt, is with us this morning. We have been, I have been wanting to work it out so that Charles could be with us, and suffice it to say, we have worked it out and Charles is with us. So this is where the church is supposed to say amen. Amen indeed. So it is indeed, we are indeed on an adventure in faith. I want to acknowledge you. Last week, I spoke a bit to you, a bit, I spoke a little bit about our food bank drive. And it's not, it's, in, it's an interesting thing for me because it is both about the food bank and it is. It's about our giving. It's about us developing a spiritual pattern and practice of giving and giving consistently and what we've determined is that the food bank drive is a good way to practice. So it's, it's an important shift in the world, in our community, in our expanded community, if we can get there. And our getting there is building the muscle as givers. There would be those, I mean, I don't know the kind of households and families of origin that anybody grew up in, but every now and then, I get those impulses from the past. My mother's voice, my, my family, my parents kind of impress on my heart. And ours was one of service. It was, you just, there was no way you could expect to just do you. And I'm kind, well, no, stay on point, Andrea. The idea was, if we were here taking up space, and we were, that there was something that we were responsible for contributing. So we were forever being sent out to help people on the block. That would be your starter place. And then there were organizations, and if somebody asked you to, to come forward and speak or to bring something, and you know, maybe you think that you had your own volition in play, but if my mother knew about it, she'd be, what, they asked you, and you said, what? Was it something you could have done? Well, yeah, but I didn't want, mm, not really interested in whether you wanted to because what they were teaching me is what I often say to myself because I'm still teaching me this, that I don't want to live my life by my taste buds. I'm not willing to have my life solely consist of what I like. Now this, a part of me as I said it, that went like, really? Can we just? Because we're kind of at the point where we've accomplished some things. We have, a, we, <laughs> we, all of us in here, have accomplished some things. And I could really make some determinations. But I'm clear that it would not be for my highest and best. That what is for my highest and best is to continue to be challenged. To continue to treat this honor life as an adventure in faith. Where I don't just get to sit it out. So when I ask for a contribution for the food bank, I don't just get to say, like, no, because what? Like, why wouldn't you? Why would you not give something? There's not a one of us 
that doesn't have something to give. You know, scour the floor of the car. Look between the cushions, the bottom of the purse, in the corner, in the cut, wherever you have to get. Whatever it is you can give, you want to be in the giving game whenever you're invited. Consider this an invitation. This is an invitation for us to give. Why? Because as we build this practice, as we build this muscle of giving and recognizing that we always have enough to give, what do you think prosperity is? I know you're including it in your prayers and in your little affirmations. What do you think prosperity is? But the wherewithal to give. So can you see that you are double-minded? You're wanting prosperity, but you're wanting to live as if you cannot be prosperous, as if you are not. And prosperity is consciousness. It's not a thing. You, you know how you can tell? Because it varies from person to person. You look at somebody across the room and decide, oh, they're very prosperous. And they're sitting there thinking, you know, we ain't going to make it unless I get but it looks like that to somebody else. You see, it's, it's not a thing in, in and of itself. It is the way we sense it, the way we file it within ourselves, the way we live in it as it. I'm trying to help you. First of all, let's be clear, myself. Trying to help me really get this. And while I do so, no point in doing it on mic if ain't nobody else going to get none because I could be at home reading Neville. You understand what I'm saying? But since we're here, break off a piece. Get some for you. Make sure when you leave here that your quotient, if you will, for giving has increased. Make sure that your quotient for self-awareness has increased. Make sure that you have expanded your wherewithal to be, to do, and to have. That's life. Get all that straight inside of self with a clear sense of self. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's us. That's me kind of laying the foundation. In summer school, and you know that we are, we're using guidance for a spiritual journey, and our theme for summer school is trusting divine guidance. Sometimes we declare a thing not knowing what it requires of us. Because it kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Trusting divine guidance. Every one of us are like, yes, that would be, but what it, think about this. What are you, how come you're not doing that now? Because it's easy enough, I imagine. I mean, it hasn't been for me, but that's because I'm looking more closely at my behavior. And I see where I get right in there with my personal preference. Just kind of edge God out and just get fit myself right in there. <laughs> you know, like I was trusting you and you guided me to the corner, but I'm not turning that way. And then I insert myself and I decide, well, you know, I'm going in that direction, but I ain't making that turn because that looks like something I don't want to do. 
hardly the point when we can get, you know, in retrospect. <laughs> 2020 in the after whisk experience of it. Y'all understand what I mean? You know how you, you play the card or the domino or whatever it is in the game, and then you get clarity. <laughs> after it's all been paid. After you've played it, you get crystal clarity because now you see it played out. This is the way we are. We are like in a master whisk game. And we are doing our best to live in the after whist, the story of it. If only you had, then I would have, and it had all been different. I call that the pimp scenario, but I can't go there this morning. Anyhow, so look, Ernest Holmes offers us this, that the mind principle around you is reactive to your thought. Always, the mind principle around you, that that brings it into form, into actuality, into demonstration, into manifestation, it is reactive, it responds to your thinking. Now sometimes I feel like we need to have an asterisk there because it's not that thought that you had two years ago about winning the lotto. It's not that thinking. It's that consistent, repetitive thought. It's the thought that cuts a groove in your consciousness. It's that thought where sometimes when you think it long enough, you can't tell the difference. You can't tell, like if, you're, if you are doing this thinking, let's say around, name something. Give me something quickly. Finances. So you're doing it around finances, and say something more about what is finances in the real thing. Money coming, in. money coming in. Excellent. So about money coming in. So there's a point at which you you begin the practice, and it's just an idea. So maybe you're beginning journaling, or you're doing a vision board, or you're you're doing whatever it is that helps you to get a sense of of having more. And part of that sense of having more, what's important in this is that you have a purpose for it, is that you're not just, I want more. But what does more translate to for you? So at that point that the individual has all that laid out, well, it's a new house, and it's a, or a different house, and it's a this, and it's a this, and then I can get the treatment I want, and then I can get whatever it is, be really clear about what that is. Now, there's a point at which, it is simply written or it's pictorial or whatever it is, but it's not the thing itself in you. You know you're still talking about it, you're still thinking about it, you're still writing about it. But then there's a moment when you can't tell the difference. There's a moment where you really buy in. There's a moment where before you're doing it, there's a moment where it's doing you. There's a moment where it takes you on. You have taken it on by all the writing, the journaling, the declaring, the clearing. Because if you are affirming a thing and it doesn't feel real to you, it's not doing nothing. All you're doing is saying some words. I, I need to really be clear about that. I'm one who believes in affirmation, but everything you say is not true to you. And until it's true to you, it's not going to make a difference. So sometimes there's some clearing work 
that you must do personally in order to bring that to a point of personal clarity and belief. Because if you don't believe it, it don't believe you. And it's not unfolding on your planet. Does this make sense? So Ernest Holmes says that its chief characteristic, this mind principle, is its susceptibility to your impression. So whatever it is you're thinking, so you're thinking, whew, I, need to, I want more, more money coming in. I want more money coming in. I want more money for this. I want more money for this. I want more money for that. I want more money coming in. Now you've thought that all Sunday morning. And then on Monday, something comes in the mail, and you're thinking, this ain't going to work. I don't know what I'm going to do because this isn't working. But somehow you want to believe that the thought you had on Sunday is going to beat up the thought you just had on Monday. And the Monday that you spend arguing with the bankers and with whoever owes you something and all the things, you want to act like that doesn't impact in any way, shape, or form the work you did on Sunday. I have come today to say it's all the same thing. It is your impress on divine mind. And if your impress on divine mind, because what it is done unto you as you are yet believing while you are engaged in believing. And so whatever that is, the emphasis, the attention that you put on it is what is good. Does this make sense? Thank you for that as an example. That helps. So look, you know we're still working in that lower quadrant because we're wanting to get very clear that whenever we go there, Whenever we feel ourselves in a victim consciousness that there's something else going on, we don't want to believe even our own hype. So when we find ourselves kind of what I call under the bed, when we, when we find ourselves feeling defeated, you don't want to believe the hype. You don't want to believe that you are defeated. Why? Because believing you are defeated fuels feelings of being defeated. And soon, if you do that long enough, you will not be able to distinguish between thinking you're defeated and being defeated. And, it's be, and I know this can be difficult to, to really accept because some of us, our minds want to go to what about? What about? What about? I'm going to suggest that for the next year and a half, you suspend your whataboutness and just do it. And there's no magic in a year and a half. I just want you to do it long enough that you've forgotten you used to do it. Is what it is. Do it long enough so that it's no longer a habit of questioning, well, what about this and what about that? Just do it. Begin this process of trying it on. That is what I believe keeps so many of us out of the game. This game of, well, here at Heart and Soul, this month of July, we are focused on freedom. We're affirming, I, I accept that I am free every day. Now, that's not working for nobody who don't believe that they are free every day. Now, it doesn't mean that your life has to give you proof of that yet. 
It means that you must adjust your thinking sufficiently so that you can hold a picture in mind, that you can develop a vision of you free every day. Now, I don't know what that means to you because it's not the same for everybody, Frederick Douglass. Mother Harriet. Freedom's going to mean something different to different people. A woman in a relationship that's abusive, freedom for her is going to look different than somebody in the executive suite who knows they're not free there. <laughs> but you see how the freedom looks different. This is important to note that you're not comparing your freedom with anybody else's. The affirmation that we've been saying is, I accept that I am free every day. But I bring the good news and the bad. You ain't free unless you can believe you're free. That's where it begins. Now, it's true about all of us, but it will not be true personally for any one of us until that one believes. Yeah? Okay. So, look. I, um, I, I'm going to share some, some ideas from Neville Goddard this morning. But in order to do, well, in, in one of his essays about attention, he starts it with the scripture, James 1. And I think he uses King James Version that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. I like to draw from the Peshetta translated for English speakers. Um, and it says, well, let me take you from, uh, it's really just James 1 and 8, but I want to take you back to five to get a little runway here. So it says from the Peshitta, but if any one of you lacks wisdom, let that one ask from the divine, from the living one, from the strong one, who gives to everyone simply and does not reproach, and it will be given to him. So you got to bring yourself right. There's some stuff you have to do and now, you can ask all day long like you can affirm all day long. How it sticks has everything to do with how sticky you are. You're, have you developed a stickiness, a, a, a capacity for it to stick to you? If you're living your life in a, in a, a what's the, a, a, No, if you're living your life in opposition, in resistance to what you're desiring and declaring for yourself, then you want to be aware of this. But you can like drop that like it's hot and simply be available, be in a surrendered consciousness. Then in six it says, but let that one ask in faith without wavering. Like solid, a solid place in faith. So we're on an adventure in faith, so we're getting better and better about holding our faith consciousness, about staying in faith. No, long, no, no matter how the ride goes, no matter how life, wherever it delivers us, we're getting better and better at recognizing that it's still God, that it's still good. We're not trying to rush to judgment while the thing is happening, figuring out the good, but we know there's some good in this. We know there's something for each of us in this. And seven, it says, and let not that person think that that, that 
let, not her, let her not think she gonna get nothing if she hadn't done what's required. That's essentially what's that saying. Do not think that it's all gonna unfold for you just because you on one Sunday six months ago said an affirmation during the recitation. That ain't how it works. Now you're better off having recited that than having not recited it, but that's not transforming your life. The transformation of your life is on the inside. Whoever wavers in their mind is troubled in all of their ways. That's that notion of being unstable. And this is about the prize goes to stability, consistency. Can you see that? That if you're going to accomplish, have your prayers realized, have your dreams realized, you must be stable in your dreaming and in your praying. And in your living, your dreaming and your praying. Is this making sense? Yeah. All right, all right. Sometimes I can't tell by looking at y'all. Neville says this, he says, the great success of, let me tell you this though. There is this little, um, this little video I saw that's really been wearing me out in a, a weird way. I happen not to be, I'm not really a pet person. So when I see little pet videos and such that really get me, there's something that's working with me. So I saw this little video recently of uh, a dog who's sitting at a little table, looks like this, a little table, and there are two paper cups. Oh, I wish I'd had two paper, had you bring me two paper cups, Falza, just so we could really pull this off. And so the person is here with the camera, and the dog is over here, and we got the two paper cups, and the, the person is mixing the paper cups like you've seen magicians do with the nuts and such on TV, yeah? Okay, so there's a little mixing of the cups going on. And then they stop, and the dog goes, that cup. And sure enough, bring me a cup, babe. Because we need, you know, everybody can't, their imagination has not been fully developed. So the dog picked this cup and turned it over, and there was a little treat under there. So the dog, like, how would you feel? You got the little treat, so you feeling like, oh, yeah. So the dog takes on the treat, has the treat in the mouth, and I imagine is gobbling it down, and I think that's what the dogs do. And then the person here with the camera turns this one over, and it's full of treats. So this one had one treat. You literally see the dog look like, what? <laughs> and I didn't know dogs had, like, a what expression. Like, what you talking about? That one got, what? <laughs> Because I was kind of celebrating the one treat till I saw that this other cup had like multiple, whole little, whole little pile of treats. <laughs> Do you know this dog spits out the treat that I thought? I thought the dog had gobbled a treat. Because, you know, it looked like gobbling to me. The dog does something, and I realized the dog is getting that treat out. It looked like chewing but drops that treat and then touches this other cup. <laughs> now, I thought this is a heart and soul dog right here. <laughs> because sometimes a sticking place for us 
is we don't realize we can change our mind. Now, I don't know whether the dog owner gave him all the treats. I don't know, nor do I care. But I know that in the divine sphere of our living, it responds to us as how we are. So you could have a whole video of the dog then slumping off and the dog being sad and depressed for maybe a week or two because they only got the one treat and they know it was their own fault. See, now I'm, I'm, I'm anthropomorphizing in a human way the dog because if the dog was like us, the dog would need therapy now because it only got the one treat and there were multiple treats available and they just don't, I don't know that I can live no more. You know what I mean? It's just, life is just, God is no, it just would change everything. But instead we get this example of, cause I thought I got to be as smart as this dog on Twitter. <laughs> that I can just say, you know what? Never mind about that one. <laughs> It's just like he said, I meant to touch this other one right here. This is the one I meant. Because I want this. And I thought, how often do we give up? How often do we give up? When the thing is right there, we just say, no, let me just, let me just focus myself in a different way. Neville says, a great secret of success is to focus the attention on the feeling of the wish fulfilled without permitting any distraction. That dog didn't look like it was self-blaming. It didn't go through. It went right to my new focus is the other cup. All progress depends on an increase of attention. Focused attention, the ideas which impel you to action are those which dominate the consciousness. These passing thoughts, an idea about prosperity, an idea about health, when you're not eating no different, not moving any different, not doing nothing but having an idea every now and then, is not going to make a difference. All progress depends upon an increase of attention, focused attention. You're going to have to get this so that you don't have to read the affirmation. You know the affirmation, and the affirmation knows you. Yes, it says that the, the ideas which impel you to action are those which dominate the consciousness, those which possess the attention. And when your attention is possessed, your life changes because it, it can't do anything else. We know the power of mind when mind is so exclusively focused. It absolutely begets exactly what you're focused on. The idea which excludes all others from the field of attention discharges in action. Those unstable thoughts where you think thinking a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. So you, you got the idea, you took the class, you got the vision, and now you spend time though thinking about how that's not really possible. You know, it looked like if it was prosperity, there was a number, let's say. And the number was all up here. But after you sit and get out of the energetic field of the class, 
and the other participants who were also encouraging in this way, you now have brought down the number. Not because that's a better number for you, not because it resonates with every aspect of your being, but because now you're scared. Now you're fearful, now you're doubtful. That is that instability. And we want to believe that it's just about that one thing. But scripture tells you it's in all your ways. You're doing that, you're doing it another way. you just kind of wobbling through life. Mm, look at here. No. No. Neville goes on to say that imagination is able to do anything, but only according to the internal direction of your attention. So you can imagine it, but if you can't focus your attention on it, all you have done is imagine something. And it was just like you imagined it on the wind. And the breeze came, and you can't even remember having imagined it. But if it's focused attention, that breeze does not change a thing. He says attention is developed by repeated exercise. It's the habitual nature of it. Through habit, an action becomes easier. We know that. And I don't know that it really becomes easier. It just comes, becomes more familiar for you, and you used to doing it. You know, your muscle that you're building, not just in the physical, but at the level of thought and being, has adjusted to it. He says, when you attain control of the internal direction of your attention, you will no longer stand in shallow water. You know, we often use a metaphor of getting in the deep end of the pool. It's this idea that you'll no longer be on the edge of the pool kind of looking in and enjoying the water and the view. You're having a good time, but that's not the vision. That's not your vision is to stand on the edge of the pool and look in. The real vision, if you tell the truth, is to get in it and be about life. So he says that you'll launch out into the deep of life. You'll walk in the assumption, in the assumption of a wish fulfilled as on a foundation more solid than even earth. Because it is in mind, and once you perfect it, once you hone it, you will not be able to tell the difference. You'll walk and sit and live in it. Oh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And um, so look, this is, I want to make sure that I, yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is, Charles Holt wrote a song entitled, A Place at the Table. And I'm wanting you to, to hear this song. I've asked him to, to sing it for us today. I want you to have a sense of what you must know. What must you imagine? What must you embrace? What must you be attentive to in order for this play, a place at the table to manifest? He writes, because everybody has a place at the table. The world is changing. You can't stop it. You ain't able. He says that to think that things will stay the same is just a fable. We have work to do. 
And I think that Charles is going to help us do it this morning. Come on, Charles. So Charles, first of all, that voice. And those lyrics, the musicianship as well, all of it combined to support our clarity, the expansion in our thinking, in all that we can be up to, all that we need to know. So I want to go now to guidance for a spiritual journey. I feel like Neville was a great prelude to like a foreword, if you will, a lovely prelude to the reading for actually yesterday, the 22nd, where God says now, this has been wearing me out. In this, Dr. Daniel Morgan says, writes, attention is the key to life. Now, you, we just finished with Neville doing the, the little master's course in attention. Now, we have Dr. Dan saying, attention is the key to life. Look where you're going because you will inevitably go where you're looking. So if you pay attention to where your attention is, you will see exactly where you're headed. Whatever you really give your attention to, you become. Where your attention is, there is your destiny. Now that can be good news, and we like, ooh, yes, and that can be bad news. Where somebody could be sitting here now saying, I need to be excused because I need to go straighten that part out. I can see that where I'm headed is not a destination, not an outcome that I'm interested in having. I'm going to move through this. So he's, now Dr. Dan goes on to talk about that now is the accepted time. When we understand the power of attention and we apply that to there is only now, and Dr. Dan saying, now is the accepted time. It is what you do in the present moment that counts. This is such good news. For those of us who have had a few birthdays, because with, if you've only had a few birthdays, like this little one back here, and you know, and, and in subsequent years, they're not going to have much issue shifting gears. But there's a point of which you have built up so much time, attention, focus on what doesn't serve that we have cut a groove and it could be more difficult to the stuck mind to get to an appreciation of the truth that only the present matters. Because the world, <clears throat> pardon me, Lord. <clears throat> the world will have us, invites us. It doesn't have you do nothing. The world invites us. The world that we have designed, by the way, <clears throat> the world that we have designed and peopled will invite us to belief systems that do not serve us. But it's your responsibility to pick and choose what invitations you take and which ones you gracefully decline. And now, I don't even know you have to be graceful in. Just the ones that you know are not going to serve you. 
He says the past is gone and the future is not yet ready to be acted upon. There's nothing you can do in the present moment to act on the future. Now what you do in the present will impact, will affect. However, in this moment, what you have is the now moment. He suggests that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of the divine in all things. Yeah, yeah. So look, in right where each of us is right now, in this very room, in this right now moment is what that can mean. As we think about this notion, when I say to you, in this very room, y'all at home and other places, I don't mean right here at this address. Sometimes when I say it, I mean my consciousness. What I mean is what's available to us in this right now, and right now, in this moment, I mean right now. In this very room is less about a locale than it is about in consciousness. In this very consciousness, in this right now moment, what there's something that's possible right now that wasn't possible a week ago, a day ago, a little earlier this morning. And there's something that as I am in this right now moment that nothing is accessible in the future to me right now. What's available to me right now is what I must take responsibility for. And in this very room, there's enough love. See, this is what this food bank contribution is intended to help us get. That there's quite enough money, food, resources in order that no one has to go hungry. But I don't know that we can get there just by having said that. Because what did I tell you? What you affirm, if you don't believe it, it really don't matter that somebody affirmed it. Because if you then, if you, if your mind then goes to well, how many children there are and how many, you trying to do some arithmetic around it, this ain't that. This is not an arithmetic problem that can be solved with numbers. This is a consciousness opportunity. This is an awareness that in this very room, in your consciousness, there's quite enough love for everything. There's quite enough joy for everything. There's quite enough hope. There's quite enough power. There's quite enough prosperity consciousness to chase away all gloom, all doom, all doubt, all fear. If, if you're willing to know this and stand in it.